a podcast I enjoy listening to is called Founders. Founders. Um, what the guy does on the podcast is he reads a biography, and then he tells you what he thinks the key moments or movements are in this biography. So if you're not great at reading, <clears throat> then you kind of read the biography in a short way by listening to this guy just kind of give you the highlights. And you can listen to about a half an hour free, and then you have to pay for the rest of it. But I've enjoyed just listening to half hour about all these different famous people, and some not so famous that I haven't known. And he just tries to compress this person's life into an hour podcast. And I'm going to try to attempt to do the same thing this morning with a biography of Peter. We don't have time to go through every piece, but I want to highlight some key moments and key movements that shaped Peter's life. And as we do that, I want to ask two questions of the text and of you. What does Peter learn or come to know about God? So we focus in on this event, and when we walk away, what does Peter learn about God? Or what does he come to know? And then secondly, very similar, what does he learn or come to know about himself? So something gets revealed, something gets uncovered, something gets exposed. What does he learn? Now, before we begin, let me offer some instructions on how to listen to the sermon. If you want to follow along, all the texts are on the handout, which is why you have one today, because there are too many texts to sort of keep up with. And I know it's a lot to absorb, I like this podcast, it's a lot to absorb, but it's worth trying to hear it all at one time. And so even though this, this sermon is a little bit longer than normal, no groaning please, <clears throat> you know, I'm going to ask more of you as the listener to try to engage in this biography of Peter. I think it's helpful to hear it all at once. You don't need to take notes because my whole manuscript is on the website. So every quote or everything I say, pretty much verbatim, is on the website. So you don't need to take notes on the sermon, but you do need to take notes on yourself. That's, that's why I have the handout and a pen. So as we go through these different key moments and we see what Peter learns about God or himself, my question for you is what do you learn about God? And what do you need to learn about yourself? So every time we kind of circle around these moments, that's the question that I'm going to ask of you. And then I'd just like you to write one or two things down, whatever sort of strikes at your heart this morning. It won't be ten things. And then share that with somebody. Most of you have a family here you can share with, but if you don't, find a friend and say, hey, I listened to this sermon and, and I really felt like I needed to learn this about God. I didn't know it or I needed to re-know it. Or I learned something about myself, and that was important to me. Let's pray together. Lord, we're here just for a few moments, really, out of a whole life, a whole week of activity, both behind and ahead. I pray that by your power, you would sustain our mind in this moment. To, to, to live in these key moments with Peter, to stand there and watch 
you and watch him and then examine ourselves. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us in a way that we can't see or speak to ourselves this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> One of the quotes on the handout is Frederick Beekner, who wrote a book called Telling Secrets. And he says this, the original shimmering self, this is you, your original shimmering self gets buried so deep that most of us end up hardly living out of that self at all. Instead, we live out of the other selves. I love how he says it, which we are constantly putting on and taking off like coats and hats against the world's weather. There's an original shimmering self, the self that God made, the, the self that's in God's image. It's in there. But we've been born into this world, and this world has some brutal weather. You're born into a family, you're born into a culture, you're born into some kind of environment, and you, you picked up on, hey, in order to stay safe in this environment, I've got to put on this cat, I've got to put on this coat, because it's not safe if I'm exposed in some way. And in order to uncover our original self, you and I first have to see our false self. In order to somehow get to the original shimmering self that Jesus sees, that Jesus wants us to live out of, we have to first see our false self. We have to first recognize, what are those old coats and hats? I mean, it'd be fascinating if, we were all, if somehow we could all see the coat and hat we have on right now. Everyone, including myself, reached for an old coat and hat as we walked in. I don't want anybody to know this. I don't, I don't want to be exposed. So I, I'm getting this coat out. I'm getting this hat out. I'm putting on this false self because I'm unsure about how safe I am right here in this place. I'll ask in a moment what your favorite false self coat and hat is, what you've used to survive the brutal weather of this world. In order for Peter to grow in Christ-likeness, he must grow in the knowledge of God and the knowledge of himself. St. Augustine famously wrote, Grant, Lord, that I may know myself and that I may know thee. Those are the two things he thought were key to really following Christ. I've got to know myself. I've got to know really who I am, who my false self is, and who my original shimmering self is. John Calvin said something similar many years later. Nearly the whole of sacred doctrine consists in these two things. Knowledge of God, knowledge of ourselves. So in order for us to grow, in order for Peter to grow, we have to see Jesus, we have to see ourselves accurately. Unfortunately for Peter and unfortunately for us, denial is a lot less painful than self-awareness. Denial is a lot less painful than self-awareness. It's easy to get that code out. It is so easy. You've done it for 10 or 20 or 50 or 59 years in my case. You get the code out. You put it on. I'm just so used to it now. I don't even realize I'm putting it on. It's so easy to not really want to be self-aware. But fortunately for us and for Peter, Jesus knows. Jesus sees. He sees that original shining self. 
And he has a plan to draw that out, to help you see your old coats and hats, and to draw out that original shimmering self. We'll see this with Peter. A quote that I used maybe a month ago came from an author, Pastor Gordon MacDonald, which really resonated with me and and I know for some of you. He says this in uh, one of his books, Every year I return to my New England farm in the spring and mow a large lawn in the farmhouse. And every year I ruin at least one blade on my mower by hitting a rock that wasn't there the previous year. Listen. Of course, the rock had been there the previous year, but beneath the surface. The winter has a way of forcing rocks to the surface. The winter has a way of forcing rocks to the surface. And when they surface, they have to be dug out and discarded. So Jesus uses winter conditions to expose rocks in the field of your soul. And when you hit them and your life starts spinning out of control, you've got to stop and you've got to dig that out or else you're going to keep hitting that same rock. And thankfully, at least in my case, Jesus doesn't bring up all the rocks at one season or else it would just be all rocks. But he, he graciously and kindly says, okay, Paul, here's a rock. I mean, you've been mowing around it or whatever. You ruined a lot of blades. Let's, like, hey, buddy, let's try to dig this one out. Try to get rid of this rock in the field of your soul. Let's take off this old coat and hat that you think has served you, but it's really harming you. And perhaps by examining Peter's biography, it'll be like mowing the field of your soul. And somewhere along here, you'll hit a rock. And it'll be a way of God saying, hey, we need to address this rock. It's been exposed. Hopefully, you'll discover the treasure of Jesus that he's kind, kind to show it to us and to help us get rid of those stones in our soul. So let's look at these four key movements and moments. Luke chapter four, 5, we have read this before. and just You can turn there with me if you want. 5 verse 4. Jesus had been speaking, if you remember, a crowd had been pressing in on Jesus. He asked Simon to get a boat to put out into the water. And after he was finished, Jesus says to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and took in nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking and they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled up both boats so much that they all began to sink. And then Simon, Peter, saw it and then, notice, he fell down at Jesus' knees and says, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What's happening here? beneath the surface Simon uh, let's put out for a catch I mean it's the middle of the day this is not when you catch fish he's there cleaning his nets not having much success and he says well we toiled all night and took in nothing and here's my guess and it's an educated guess but I think you can see it pieced together in each of these key moments for Peter he has a need to express himself (laughs) 
we, hey, just in case you didn't notice, Jesus, I mean, you've been talking, and maybe you hadn't noticed that we fished all night. Maybe you hadn't noticed that we hadn't caught any fish. Maybe you hadn't noticed that the sun is up. I mean, he just feels the need to inform Jesus on some things in case Jesus is missing out. And this is Peter. This is Peter's pride. Especially when it doesn't make sense to Peter, Peter has to express himself. He has to say, well, Jesus, you know, maybe you just need a little insight from me and we'll go in a different direction. This, This... Peter making sure Peter is heard is a very comfortable coat for Peter. This is one he puts on all the time. And then I think fear. He's got pride and fear. These are his his twins, his coat and his hat. There's quite a crowd pressing in on Jesus, as we've seen, several professional fishermen. And Jesus asked Peter to do something that Peter thinks is going to make him look foolish. I mean, pretty much everybody knows you don't catch fish in the middle of the day, but certainly my professional fisherman friends know, and he's asking me to go out in front of everybody, and I'm going to put the net down, and I already know what's going to happen. It's going to come up empty, and I'm going to look foolish. And Peter, he hates looking foolish. He's afraid of looking foolish. That's a very comfortable hat for Peter. That might be a very comfortable hat for some of you all. I'm really afraid of looking foolish. And I organize my life in some ways so that just nobody thinks I look foolish. And when it does, I just, I get buried in shame somehow. Fear is on the other side of the the coin of pride. And so Peter announces, at your will, at your word, I will. It's hard to say exactly what Peter's motives here. You know, your your motives, my motives, they're all mixed up. Even in the midst of a good motive, there's a dark side to a lot of our motives. And it sure appears as if Peter is being obedient, and and maybe that is true. He's saying, hey, I'm going to do what you say. But I'm guessing there's a little piece of this that he wants to make sure everyone understands whose foolish idea this is. At your word you know sort of a preemptive blame shifting like when i when when the net comes back empty we've already blamed the person who asked us to do it you feel that i don't want to look foolish so i'm just shifting this off to jesus so when peter meets jesus peter's wearing his false self he's got his hat of fear on and his coat of pride Now, Peter learned something about himself and Jesus because he had this great catch. And here's his impulse reaction. Depart from me, I'm a sinner. Depart from me. Again, I want to just stop and just ask. This is a key moment for Peter. Depart from me. Why is this his impulse reaction? Depart from me. Why do you think he says that? Now, I'm, I'm just guessing. You can... You can think differently. Depart from me. I don't want to be exposed. I can see you can see inside of me, and I don't like that. That makes me feel uncomfortable. I think this is the woman at the well. I just, hey, somebody's starting to get inside of me, and they can see things. I don't, I'm not trying to expose. I got my coat on, and he saw right through my coat. He's got the x-ray vision. I don't want that. Please go away. 
I would rather stay hidden than be known. I'm a sinner. Depart from me, I'm a sinner. This is, this is a key statement for Peter. It, I'd say it's his first real step towards Jesus and towards himself. I'm a sinner. This is the very first step towards Jesus, and I think this is the very first step to knowing yourself. He admits he's a sinner. He's rotten on the inside. He can't cover it up. Depart from Jesus, me, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm too proud to allow anyone to un- uncover the huge rocks in my soul. And I'm so afraid of looking foolish. And I love Jesus' response. He looks at Peter, and he, see, he sees through the hat and coat. And what does he say? Don't be afraid. I see you're shaking in your boots that I see right through you. I see you spent 20 or 25 years putting on a hat and a coat that you think has protected you from the world's weather, and it's not working, Peter. And I plan on taking it off. And I know that's going to terrify you. So I want to look at you in the eyes and say, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Follow me. I think this is a beautiful moment. And Peter doesn't know too much about himself, but he knows one key thing, I'm a sinner. (laughs) And he doesn't know too much about Jesus, but he knows one key thing, you don't have to be afraid of him. That's all you have to know in order to start the journey with Jesus. This is a great moment for Peter. I don't know everything about myself. I just know I'm rotten on the inside and Jesus sees it and he's still coming for me saying, hey, don't be afraid. I see it. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of all the things you don't even yet see about yourself, Peter. I'm here. Just walk along with me for a while. So, do you know your favorite coat and hat do you know the false self that you sort of default to to make sure everybody doesn't see anything inside is it pride or fear is it something else something you've come to rely on because the world has been brutal the weather has been brutal do you see yourself as a sinner Are you afraid of being exposed? There are other questions, but that's movement number one. Matthew 14, Peter walks on water. 14 verse, I'm going to just read 25 through 29. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus is on land. He's been praying on a mountainside. He sees that the disciples are fighting against the wind and the waves. He comes walking to them on the sea, 14, Matthew fourteen twenty six. But when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were terrified, understandably, and said, it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, take heart, it's me. Don't be afraid. 
Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come on, Peter. So Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water, and he came to Jesus. Now, this is a great moment for Peter. I mean, just try to imagine that. We all live at the ocean. It's churning up. He gets out of the boat. He gets to walk on the water. Now, at this point, Peter, fast forward from Luke 5, he's probably been following Jesus for two years. He's seen some really incredible things. And Peter's faith is growing and his fears are shrinking. That's how I put Peter at this point. So my question in verse 28, why does Peter make this statement? They're out in this boat. They can't seem to get to the land. They're afraid they might drown. They see Jesus. They're afraid. And Jesus says, it's me. Don't be afraid. And Peter's first reaction, command me to come to you on the water. Now, that seems foolish to me. I mean, you might say, well, this is just Peter just saying something that he wants to say right away without thinking. But is this what you're thinking? No. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, Jesus, get over here. That's what I, I'm not thinking me come to you. I'm thinking you come to me, right? That's the first thing that comes out of my head. Save me right now. I'm all about me. I think something deeper is happening here. Perhaps Peter sees this as a chance to put everything he's learned about Jesus to the test. Everything he's seen, his own faith and fear, he's going to put it to the test. And I think it's a real moment of courage. There was a song I heard uh, when I was in college, and the chorus has always stuck with me. I'm yours, Lord, everything I've got, everything I am, everything I'm not. I'm yours, Lord, try me now and see. See if I can be completely yours. I think this was Peter's moment. I'm yours, Lord. Try me now and see. Let's see if I, Peter, can really be completely yours. So I'm not calling you to come to save me. I'm calling me to come to you. And I don't know Jesus' reaction, but I think he laughs. Okay. That certainly surprised me, Peter. Come on. Come on, if you, I mean, let's, let's take your faith for a ride. Let's, let's take it for a field test. Yes, come on. And I love this about Peter. Peter would rather die trying to get to Jesus than stay in the boat. Not any of the other guys. But my faith has grown so strong that I would rather die trying to get to Jesus than stay in this thing that I think is sinking anyway. I know, and I didn't read it, some of you are thinking this, well, he doesn't perform too well for very long. And I realize he quickly grabs for his old hat of fear, starts sinking. I know he takes his eyes off Jesus. That's another sermon. I just want to focus in on this fragment of his life where he was truly free. It doesn't last long. It's never lasted very long in my life. But I've had little fragments. Have you had these little fragments? 
where you said, just for that moment, I was really free. I was free of my pride. I was free of my fear. I was just focused on Jesus, and I wished it could last a long time, but it didn't take too long before I grabbed for my old coat, my old hat. You ever had any of that experience? And just for a fragment of his life, he was free. He was free from his old, ho- old coats and hats. And whether it's fear or pride or lust or anger or control, there's a hundred opportunities here. I hope you've had just, I hope you had a long time, but just fragments of your life where you said, I felt like what it meant to be really free right now with Jesus. I'm yours, Lord, everything I've got, everything I am, everything I'm not. I'm yours, Lord. Try me now and see. See if I can be completely yours. You ready to sing that? See, it's a tough, tough little course. Try me now and see. Uh, I don't know. Maybe not try me right now. Try me next week. Right? I mean, but try me. See, see if this is what I really believe. I can really get out in the water, even if it's for a moment, and put all my weight on you. So Peter learned he can trust his whole life to Jesus. And he learned what it felt like, even if it was just for a moment, to be free. It doesn't last long, as we'll see in John, third point, John 13, Luke 22, Matthew 26. This is the last night, Jesus in the upper room. 24 hours before Jesus' crucifixion, they're celebrating the Passover. It's an extremely pressurized situation. Think of an old garden hose. It's been sitting all winter. Suddenly, you turn on the spigot. You find out if any of the connections have gotten holes over the winter. Pressure is filling this room. And Peter falls apart. I mean, all the disciples do. None of them look good here. But our focus is on Peter. In John chapter 13, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And it's not a good moment for Peter. He gets his old coat and hat back on. Jesus takes off his outer garment, puts his towel on, and says, Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. Never! You feel that? Uh, let's reconsider. No, no, never, Jesus, never. See, I've got to, I've got, I don't, this doesn't make sense to me, so I've got to say what's going to happen, Jesus. This isn't the way it's going to work out, Jesus. See that old coat and hat and Jesus I don't know how this sounded but Peter if I can't wash your feet you will have no part of me Mm. Mm. so what does Peter say okay wash my feet that's not what he says wash my hands wash my whole body that's not what I'm here to do Peter I mean you're like come on Peter let's take that coat off Just follow, can you just follow me? Do you have to constantly be giving me instructions? (laughs) Peter, I'm trying to make you clean, and you're trying to tell me how to make you clean. I mean, this is ridiculous, is it not? But so often we do that. Jesus, now this is how I'm really going to get sanctified. Not that way. (laughs) This way. Just always informing Jesus of how it works for you. Like he can't see. 
Like he doesn't know you better than you know yourself. At Luke 22, sometime during the Passover meal, an argument breaks out. You know it. <coughs> mm, sorry. I was, uh, I'll pass on any comment on that. An argument breaks out. You know it? Who's the greatest? 24 hours before the crucifixion. Jesus is going under. These guys are worried about who they're over. I mean, I think it, when they look back, they got to be like this. Like, we had a lot of bad moments. This is the worst of all the moments, right, disciples? Yes. He's going to a cross, and we're saying, well, we're willing to follow Jesus as long as I'm over everyone else. Pride, this pride, everyone in the room grabs for pride. Matthew 26, now they're leaving the upper room. They're headed towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'll read a few verses for you. Matthew 26, 31. Verse 30. And when they sang a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, he's, they're walking along that night. You're all going to fall away because of me this night. It's already written. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered, not surprisingly, verse 1. Though they <laughs> all fall away because of you, I will never, Jesus, don't know if he's tapping them in the chest. I'm never going to fall away. And Jesus said to Peter, I tell you, Peter, this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you, Jesus. And all the other disciples said the same. And my guess, if you could just sort of stop time and ask Peter what he's thinking, he's like, Jesus is crazy. I mean, it's been three years. I mean, he would have just been in utter shock and disbelief. There's no way I have this in me. I'm not, it's not possible for me to do this. David Brenner writes this, For Peter, doubting Jesus was easier than doubting himself. Hmm. Peter had not yet encountered either the depth of his pride or the extent of his fear. He really didn't know how much coat he had on, how tight the hat of fear was around, around his head. But sadly, just a few hours later, Peter encounters the darkest depths of himself. Huge rocks in Peter's soul are exposed Feel the weight of this moment, Luke 22. A servant girl seeing Peter. This girl's probably 12. She's a servant for some other people in this courtyard. Hey, 
were with Jesus, right? This, this doesn't seem like a high bar right here. I do not know Jesus. Then in one of the most painful verses in the whole Bible, Luke twenty-two sixty-one, while Peter was in the midst of denying Jesus for the third time, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. So during this trial, somehow Peter's in a courtyard and Jesus is being transferred and Peter's looking at a servant going saying, I don't know Jesus. And Jesus walks by and looks at Peter. Oh, oh. What What a look. It's not unlike the look in Luke 5, Peter, I see you. I know in Luke 5, Peter, you didn't see the depth of your own sin. I mean, I know you said you were a sinner, but you thought you were a small sinner. This rock of sin, it's massive in your life, Peter. It's not small. I mean, you thought you addressed it, but I mean, we got a lot more to go here, buddy. Peter's false self crumbles. His prideful packaging is ripped away. And he realizes his greatest fear. He looks foolish in front of the person he loves the most. Jesus. Shame buries Peter. And he runs out into the courtyard. Into the dark. What do you learn about yourself when you look at this passage? Fourth and final John 21, this moment of restoration. It's beautiful. I wish I could use the right words for it. It's a full circle moment. Peter's back on the Sea of Galilee. He's not catching fish. (laughs) Just like Luke 5. He sees Jesus. Remember, he sees Jesus. He can't wait to row ashore. He's going to flop into the water and swim ashore. They end up having this meal. And in John 21, they have this crucial conversation. I'll just read a few verses. 15. When they had finished the breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, do you love me more than these? Mm. Yes. Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you, he said to him. Tend my sheep, Jesus said. And then he said to Peter a third time, Simon, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. Why? He knows what Jesus is doing. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. What's happening here? Why the three times? For sure it's connected to Peter's denials. 
But I think there's something deeper happening here. I think what's taking place here is this was Jesus' way of draining away all of Peter's shame. We've seen this before. The woman of the well, the bleeding woman, they have to tell their whole stories. And Peter has to tell his whole story. I denied you three times. It's a way of just pulling shame out of Peter. See, if he doesn't get the moment to say it, he's going to be locked in what I'm going to call the frame of shame. And so Jesus is saying, I need you to say it. So it's like bleeding out this ugly shame that your heart's going to be captured by. The Soul of Shame book title says this, Shame's narrative is some version of, I'm not enough, there's something wrong with me, I'm bad. I'm not enough, something's wrong with me, I'm bad. When you hear that, that's a, that's a shame narrative. We each have our own shame attendant who is attuned to our feelings and thoughts and behavior. And the shame attendant is not there to care for you, rather to infuse you with elements of judgment into every moment of your life. And I'm just imagining Peter's shame attendant has a megaphone. You're not worthy. You denied him three times. I mean, he must have these shouts so, so it's, it's a way of Jesus reaching into Peter's soul saying, I'm pulling that shame attendant out. Imagine Peter's look at Jesus here compared to his last look. Don't be afraid, Peter. I've seen you from the very beginning. This is not news to me. It's news to you. Follow me. You notice that's the last line. Same thing. Just come along with me. I'm not going to make you any promises other than I'm going to be with you. I think Jesus was also using the conversation to remind Peter of something Peter needed to know about himself. When Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Do you think Peter, that Jesus didn't know? The answer to that is always no, right? It's not like Jesus is like, okay, now, Peter, I'm trying to figure things out here. Do you, I mean, do you really love me? Peter, I know that you love me, but because of shame, you don't know that you love me. I see that original shimmering self that loves me. I see it. You don't see it. And I need you to say it. That It comes out out loud. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I, hey, I really love Jesus. The shame attendant just begins to fade. I really love Jesus Christ. And that's the beautiful moment. I'm trying to make sure, Peter, you know that you love me. Don't be afraid. Follow. P. 
Peter learns about himself that he's a mix of paradoxes. Brennan Manning says this in his book, Ragamuffin Gospel. When I get honest with myself, I admit that I'm a bundle of paradoxes. Maybe this is you. I believe and I doubt. I hope and I get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about my good feeling, and then I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I am trusting and suspicious. I'm honest, but I still like playing games. Aristotle said I'm a rational animal. I say I'm an angel with incredible capacity for beer. To live by grace, listen, to live by grace means to acknowledge my whole life story, the light and the dark side. In admitting my shadow side or my false self, I learn who I am, and I learn what God's grace means. When I say, I'm a terrible sinner, and I'm really way worse than I thought, then I learn how great God's grace is. If I have a little view of my sin, you have a very little view of the cross. Peter learns about himself. He learns about Jesus' grace here. Maybe you need to know those. Let's close with the quote that's in your bulletin. The self that embarks on the spiritual journey with Jesus is not the self that arrives. The self that begins the spiritual journey is the self of our own creation, old coats and hats. This is the self that has to die on the journey. This is the painful part about the journey. You've got to take the coat off and the hat off. Old friends have to leave. You have to leave on the side of the road. The self that arrives is the self that is loved into existence by God's divine love. So if you're here and you're wondering about Christianity, you want to follow Jesus? Don't be afraid. I mean, he sees everything. He sees things about you you don't see about yourself. And he's kindly going to expose them, not for your, help or your harm, but your healing. But I give you a warning. The self that embarks on the journey is not the, self, the same self that arrives. If you're a follower of Jesus, you love Jesus. I love Jesus. What do you need to learn about God in this compressed biography on Peter? That he looks at you. That he sees you. That he's coming towards you. That he's saying you don't have to have any reason to be afraid. What have you learned about yourself? Challenge everybody here to have some, at least one conversation with somebody else and say, this is what I learned today. Let's pray together. Lord, as the rain falls outside, may your grace rain down on these weary souls whose field is full of rocks. 
And by your kind hand, help us unearth these things that keep messing up our lives. Help us to not be afraid. And I pray, I do pray in earnest that everyone here would would have these moments, even if it's just a fragment, that they'd be free. And they would know what it looks like to really live for you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.